Hi everyone, welcome to the Perma Podcast. I am James Prescott, your host. Welcome to the show, another episode. Um, I'm delighted to welcome a new guest to the show today, um, Andy Colber. She is a author and a counsellor, therapist, and um, she's got a powerful story and lots of wisdom. So I'm on um, on lots of things. So I'm looking forward to speaking to her. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Um, yeah, so t- I mean, just tell us a bit about um, like what you do and like you know your work. Yeah, definitely. So, well, first of all, I have to say this is my first international podcast, so that's super fun um, <laughs> that we're speaking across lots of time zones. But um, yeah, so I am in Castle Rock, Colorado, and I am, like you said, I'm a therapist and a first-time author, and I, you know, do a lot of speaking as well. And my work, I really focus on what I call a trauma-informed lens, meaning that I try to, um, whether or not I'm specifically working with someone around trauma, I keep a holistic lens in mind around Mm -hmm. the idea that as humans, all of us um, have pain, all of us have hardship, and all of us have a nervous system that is affected by that. And so because that's true, we are always keeping in mind that the content that we're working with has the potential to um, dysregulate us. And that's really where the trauma-informed idea comes from. And so the more that we have potentially, you know, more accumulated trauma, the, the easier it may get to, to become dysregulated. And so, mm. you know, I, I try to come from this very general idea with trauma-informed because sometimes when people hear trauma they think that's not me you know like I haven't maybe I haven't been to war or I haven't been in a major car accident or they they sort of um they sort of see themselves out the door (laughs) when they hear that word (laughs) and I like to just have this wider lens that it's more about what it means to be human and and how we move through pain and so whenever I'm, you know, whether I'm on Twitter or Instagram or with my clients or when I'm speaking, I'm sort of keeping in mind this idea that all of us are affected um, by this common experience. Yeah, that's a really good perspective, I think, because we all, I mean, I've had some major trauma in my own life, you know, losing a parent and difficult childhood, um, traumatic childhood, um, but but there are other people who haven't been through that who still get who still have emotional problems who still have insecurities and fears and still have things they need to work through because we're all human and we're all imperfect you know and different things affect us in different ways um, yeah. so that's really true yeah no I think that's such a great point and you know my experience is that as a therapist most of the people who come in that I'm working with often have what I would call little T trauma. And so basically what that means is it's it's really anything that overwhelms our nervous system and our ability to cope. And Mm. so what can happen is, especially like let's say, let's say you grew up in a home where you weren't allowed to feel feelings or let's say, um, you know, your parents did the best they could, but they had maybe their own wounding. And, and because of that accumulated experience in your body, um, sometimes it sets us up to maybe not be able to move through pain um, in quite as a resilient way as adults. 
And so, you know, we might learn that it's not okay to feel sad or it's not okay to feel anxious or maybe we have a really strong inner critic. And then something significant does happen. And we kind of don't have the resources in our own self mm. then to as successfully move through pain. And yes. that's where things can start to really accumulate. Um, and, and where I find this is where, you know, when someone, um, they may see themselves as not as worthy at to say that they're having a hard time, maybe because they don't outrightly identify as having experienced trauma. And so what then happens is they're like, well, I don't need therapy because my experience wasn't that bad, you know, or like, um, or I can't believe I'm still whining about this or, um, mm. you know, gosh, my body, I can't, I can't get rid of this anxiety and I just am going to do X, Y, and Z, you know? And so it's like, there's all these things that begin to add up and give us a lot of information and tell us, you know, maybe we need to listen to ourselves in, with a different posture yeah. than just telling our bodies to be quiet, you know? Yeah. And that's one practice I've been trying to, to put into to place in my own life is listening to my body and just without kind of judgment without analyzing it just saying okay what's what sensations are in my body like like you know like sometimes i feel tension in my shoulders or whatever or like sometimes i feel like i'm just kind of really warm and like peaceful and whatever but it can be anything mm-hmm. or like a tightness like somewhere or and just learning to notice those things can help you to be aware of areas where you might need to grow and get some support. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. And, and so much of the work that I do really is so grounded in the body. And, and so much of it really begins with exactly what you're saying. Like you just begin to observe even just with a non-judgmental posture, what's going on. Um, and what's so cool about that is that when, when we practice that, um, our brain, you know, it's kind of like a muscle. And so it gets easier, mm. it gets stronger in that non-judgmental sort of posture. And so it keeps us um, more able to sort of stay uh, what is called our window of tolerance. And so what that just means is that our body is able to tolerate it without going into like fight or flight or Mm. potentially even freeze. And so that's what we want. You know, we want to to grow our window of tolerance so we can stay with our experiences so that they can get reintegrated into sort of our story. That's the kind of the goal of, of therapy in general is like taking things that maybe have been, I mean, not always that, you know, that pinpointed, but it's like taking these experiences that feel so disturbing or hard and learning to bring them back into our story in a way that feels neutral or feels like we can learn from them now, that they're not happening in real time. Um, Mm. And so, yeah, all that to say, it's amazing how so much of that starts with just paying attention to our body, just paying attention to what is happening in our body and beginning to like, I call it, I call it reparenting. Um, mm, we listen to what's going on in our body. And so I'm a mom of two. And I think about if my daughter was feeling all this tension in her chest and she was 
really anxious, how would I want to, how would I want to be there for her? How would I want to support her? And I think about that there's a sense in which for me in my story, there's parts of me that maybe still feel that way. And so it's like I almost want to take care of those parts of myself. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's another thing I've been trying to do is build a relationship with my inner child, you know, like, and interact with him and listen to him and, you know, take care of him and remind him that he's not alone and that he's loved and, you know, that kind of thing. And that's really, it can be, it can be quite difficult, but it's, I mean, quite painful. But it's, um, but it's really healthy and, and healing, ultimately, when you do that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. When we can stay connected to our adult self. Yeah. And sort of, like, me as my adult self is observing that inner child. Yeah. And I can help take care of that inner child versus if I am living out of my inner child is very different. You know, mm-hmm. because... If I can't have that delineation between still connecting to my adult self, then I lose sort of the perspective. I lose the ability to take care of my my inner child. Mm. Um, And so that's where it's so important. And and sometimes why it's so important to get support from therapy and emotionally healthy people because they help us to notice and, and get tools to stay grounded in the present. Mm. So it's less like now I am my my inner child and more like now I'm caring for my inner child. Now I'm listening to my inner child. Um, and that's where healing, so much healing really happens. Because yes. it's like we're sort, of, we're sort of attending to those wounds rather than just replaying them. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And that's been my experience as well. Like I've... As I've done, as I've gone through exactly what you're talking about, I've I've had a lot of healing and a lot of um, freedom as well, and um, yeah. it's really really good when that happens. Um, so you were talking a little bit about your your own experiences, your own background, and I know that you've 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 experienced some some of this yourself. So like some um, yeah. So just tell us a bit about your experiences, uh, you know, as, as, a, as a survivor of trauma. Yeah, so I grew up in a family with really significant dysfunction and what I would call, um, I would call toxic stress. And I'm always really mindful of how I talk about this because I have four other siblings. And mm. I there are parts of, I feel like, my story that are sort of not just mine. Yeah. Um, but what that meant for me, so my mom... Um, my mom was, you know, she experienced a lot of trauma in her childhood, and she became, uh, later she became an alcoholic as I was growing up. And then my dad, um, there just was a lot of um, abuse that I experienced from my dad and psychological abuse that we experienced. And so the dynamic of the family system was that I just learned, I just didn't, I didn't really feel safe. I didn't feel like I could really depend on my parents. Um, there were different ways that that played out with both parents. Um, my mom and I have a relationship, and my dad and I don't, based off of, of his choice not to really pursue doing his own emotional work, um, which has been a part of my story that um, I don't, haven't talked a ton about, but it's been over a decade um, that, that, that that's been the case. And, and so, you know, for me, though, it's been really important, and this is where this reparenting concept for me has been super important, 
that through the lens of attachment, a lot of my trauma came through that lens. Meaning, mm-hmm. as kiddos, our brains are particularly malleable. You know, starting from birth up till age 18 is such a significant developmental time. And we're really created to be able to depend on our caregivers. Like, we actually quite literally need them to help us understand the world. And we come to understand the world through the way they mirror with us, like their own emotions, the way they um, interact, the way that they validate or don't validate our emotions, um, the way that we tend to feel secure and safe with them, or potentially that we don't feel secure. And so, you know, essentially most of my story comes through the lens of, of experiencing a lot of attachment trauma. And that affects then how we see ourselves. It affects our inner voice. It affects um, sort of our core beliefs about the world. And um, so it's been about, gosh, I would say at least a decade for me, um, even a little more than that, of really, I didn't, I guess what I would say is I didn't know that what I experienced was trauma for a long, long time. I thought, yeah, it, there were some hard things. Yes, like, yeah, there were some weird, hard things. But I didn't really have the language um, because I didn't see it anywhere, even after I became a therapist. Um, and it's really, for me, probably been about the last six years that there's been this new understanding of, of brain science, neuro, um, neuroscience, interpersonal neurobiology. Um, I'm trained in EMDR. Understanding how connected um, our caregivers and our attachment is to the way we experience ourselves. And so, you know, a lot of my work and, and my, you know, my new book is called Try Softer is just really out of my own experience of I learned to survive in the world by basically doing what I call white knuckling it. And, and white knuckling it is sort of a survival skill. It's like we out of a valid place of trauma, I was doing the best I could to just make it through, you know? I just, so I was living in a sort of fight or flight place a lot of the time. Sometimes that also meant dissociation. Um, and I thought that was just normal. And um, it's taken a lot of therapy and a lot of safe connections in my life to recognize um, that we are not made to live that way, that um, we are made to pay compassionate attention to ourselves, and that's what we all deserve. That's what we should get, you know, ideally from our first breath, that our caregivers, although not perfect, um, can teach us to be kind and loving to ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so most of my work definitely is rooted in my own journey and my own experience to pay compassionate attention to myself. Yeah. It's so strange when I listen to your story, how much it mirrors my own. Because I, you know, I had I had uh, as a teenager, my, one of my parents had a disability and became alcoholic. My mother, mm. um, and um, they were good parents. They were good, loving parents, but not perfect, you know. Um, so, as a teenager, my job was basically getting bullied at school and then coming home and breaking up my parents fights. so Ooh. that was that was my childhood trauma and then she passed away later on um, so 
that's kind of so a lot of what you were talking about a lot of the experiences that you've had and how you dealt with them resonate a lot with my own experience Mm. and my own kind of journey out of that and you know I had a lot of I had spiritual direction and counseling and coaching and and mindset coaching all that kind of thing to Mm. help me deal with it um in, in a way that you've kind of talked about as well and I mm. I did that kind of fight or flight thing for quite a long time and just kind of white knuckling it that I'd never heard that phrase before but that sounds very mm. much like what I was doing for my 20s at least you know maybe parts of my 30s as well mm. um, yeah so yeah. it's really interesting that, to hear that you know, yeah you know I think it's, it's actually so much more common than yeah. we realize and you know I I now definitely identify myself as a survivor of trauma, but I think the reality is is that there are so many people who have experiences that um, that they're more on a spectrum. Like maybe they weren't as severe in some ways. Maybe they mm. haven't had to have interventions with their parents, and maybe they did. You know, maybe that wasn't the case. But we, when we go back to that wider definition of trauma, which is that anything that overwhelms our nervous system and our ability to cope. You think about a six-year-old, right? What, how much does it take to overwhelm a six-year-old? Well, actually, not that much. So, and then if they don't have parents there to walk them through the stress that their body is experiencing, this is how we can begin to understand how even really well-intentioned parents can be part of, there can be trauma in our story. And I don't say that to shame parents. And if, you know, I don't know about your listeners, if there's parents listening, I don't want to make you feel bad about your own parenting. I often say it's like it's really about good enough parenting. You know, as you do your own emotional work and you're just aware of your kids and aware of what they might be experiencing, you can really validate for them what they're experiencing is real. And when you mess up, you just, you apologize and you make it right, you make amends. Um, And so it's not like this, it's not about being a perfect parent, but I would say Western culture you know, we just don't do a great job mm, yeah. <laughs> of validating emotion, you know? That's right. That's absolutely right. You know, and I have a good relationship with my remaining parent, you know, and very close to him and love him very much. But, you know, and um, but I had to do a lot of forgiveness and all of that kind of thing. You know, it's, um, that's what you have to do. And But, yeah, and, yeah, we've all got things that we carry around with us um, mm-hmm. and kind of we get culture kind of can tell us to minimize these things you know that oh, you, know, you haven't got, you haven't got a big condition you haven't got you haven't been you haven't lost anyone you haven't um didn't have trauma as a child so therefore your problems aren't that as important as mm. somebody who did you know but yeah it's not it's not true um well yeah. and i think one of the things that's so helpful from like a neuroscience perspective is that mm. When we are sort of open to our own emotional experience, so like when I kind of call it like doing your own emotional work, when you're listening to your body, when you're listening to your emotions, it actually is the key to empathy for other people. Meaning there's a part of our brain that you literally can't access um, what's called our mirror neuron, um, which is what tracks what's going on with other people when we're not open to our own experience so when we're cut off from our emotions we're cut off from other people's emotions too 
Mm. And so there's a sense in which, as a culture, uh, you know, as an entire, I mean, and maybe not even culture, as a world, you know, when we are doing work to honor our experience as humans and what is going on in our bodies, this is what allows us, this is the pathway to building empathy for other people. And so, and obviously we're finite and we're limited and we have to set boundaries and we can't do everything for everybody. But I think the way that it sometimes swings is that people are so cut off from their emotions. They're so scared of their emotions. They have so much that they've told themselves that it's not valid. That what happens is, is we actually project that then onto other people. Mm. We start telling other people to white knuckle it. We think, well, if I'm sucking it up, you should suck it up too, you know? And so I think that it's just a really significant, it's just significant because it's not just me by myself. It then becomes interdependent. Mm. It becomes I can love other people better when I am doing and loving myself, you know, when I am doing the emotional work to love myself. Yeah. That's so true. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely... Yeah, I mean, there's that old phrase, isn't there, about... Yeah, when you love yourself, it's easy to love other people. Um, And I think that's really, really true. Um, Mm. Yeah, I mean... I mean, obviously, you're a parent now, yourself. So, uh, what, what has been your kind of experience as a parent in in kind of the mental health challenges that kind of parents can face and that obviously with your experiences and how you've brought that into your parenting as mm. well. Like, yeah. yeah, that's a great question. Um, parenting, I will say, for me personally, has been the hardest thing I've ever done. <laughs> um, and I say that also just acknowledging it, like it's so, like I couldn't be more grateful. Like I just love my kiddos so much. Um, but I would say when my, so my daughter is seven, she's about seven and a half. And really when I had her was when I was going through some pretty profound, um, I was going deeper into my own work and it was really be almost because of this profound life change of becoming a parent because it was like, it it cracked me open in a way that I did not expect. Mm. Um, and that was challenging. I mean, it really was. And part of that probably is because I'm a survivor of trauma. I mean, the thing about attachment wounds is that they show up in relationships, right? Mm. So it's like, here's my newborn daughter who I love dearly, but I'm like not sleeping. I mean, nothing was working. Like breastfeeding went terribly. Like every, I was like, I am, you know, I had white knuckled it my whole life kind of. And I'm like, I can't white knuckle this parenting thing. This doesn't work. This doesn't work. And so this was around that time that I was beginning to understand, like, sometimes we can't, we don't need to try harder. We need to try softer. And so a lot of my parenting and um, what I encourage, uh, you know, parents that I work with is to really come back to this place of, um, Dan Siegel is famous for this phrase, connect, then correct. And really what that means is that we, we prioritize connection and love and emotional regulation over, 
um, you know, over discipline, over um, teaching, over right behavior. And, and it's not to say that those things don't have a place, mm-hmm. but the idea is, is that when our bodies, right, the little kids, if they're dysregulated, they can't learn. Mm-hmm. And the same with adults. When we're dysregulated, we're coming from the lower part of our brain, which means we're not receptive to learning. And so as a mom, I've had to learn how to really continue to regulate myself so I can help my kids regulate. And that has meant, again, trying softer. It's like when the house is a mess, when I have a to-do list of however many things that I can't get to, it's coming back to this reality that connection matters more. You know, their feelings of experiencing safety in their body and in their environment matters more than me seeming productive, (laughs) even to myself, you know. And so it has really been, I'm super grateful for it, but it's it's like it's more of a practice than it is an arrival (laughs) because having to try softer with them then means I have to continue to try softer with myself. When mm. I don't get the things done that I want to, when I am not able to um, show up in the world in the way that I think that I should, um, it reminds me how would I how would I want them to think about themselves in that mm. situation, and it helps me have a template for how can I think about myself in this situation. Yeah, trying softer sounds like having grace with yourself and having grace with others in a way Mm -hmm. Um, yeah I mean I think it that's a you know I think that's a great connection and I think it really is I you know I I think for me what I experienced I, I grew up as a Christian and I loved the concept of grace but I struggled to live that out Mm. And even if I could give it to other people, it was like, what does that mean? I, I didn't know what that felt like in my body. I didn't know how, um, you know, I was definitely, have been a lot of times my own harshest critic. And so for me, mm. so much of trying softer is essentially like, you know, as, as a Christian, I see God as someone who loves me madly. And if God loves me that much, could I also love myself that much? Like, if God is so kind to me, could I also be that kind to myself, too? Sort of like creating a bridge between the idea and sort of the living out, the embodiment of that idea. Yeah, yeah. And I was going to talk about your faith actually and because obviously being going through trauma and myself and being a person of faith and stuff and I know that how it can impact that that journey I mean how is how how did your kind of trauma experience impact your your faith and your spiritual your spiritual journey yeah I mean I think to be to be frank I think it's something I'm I'm still like it's still a journey I'm on you know I think yeah um but I would say you know for me what's interesting that I can see now in retrospect is that um I always like I could connect as a like I became you know a Christian when I was like six 
And I and there was something about Jesus that was so beautiful to me and, and gave me so much hope. And there were times when I could really test that idea. It like sort of it felt true. Um, but it was like I couldn't sustain that. Like it, it, it was fleeting. And it wasn't until much later that I came to see that I was relating to God in the same way that I had related really to my dad, which was that I was mostly afraid of God. Mm. I was mostly same. wanting to just not mess up. Um, I just felt this idea that, yeah, like it was definitely um, a mixture of what's called anxious ambivalent attachment, and then there's another one called fearful avoidant attachment. And I had a bit of a combination of those two. And it was like this idea that just keep God happy, <laughs> you know, because it's like, because at some point maybe the other shoe's going to drop. Um, and so what I, what's been so cool is that as I have experienced um, secure attachments in my life, um, primarily for me that came a lot through my husband. Um, mm. But that experience then taught me how to be safe and secure with myself mm. and that's how it works with attachment is that someone we, we learn to have that in relationship but then we internalize it and that becomes our own internal framework too mm. and so what happened is is that i had this shift where i had a new understanding of what safety could look like and that began to transfer to how i understood god and so it was like unpacking all of this harmful theology and perspective that was never true to begin with, but had felt true because yeah. it lined up with my lived experience. Um, and that is something that, you know, it's, yeah. I mean, I just think I, I experienced God as a secure attachment, um, which I feel really grateful for. But I do think there's a lot in our world, in our Christian culture, and all the things um, where I think folks who've had attachment, like attachment wounding, it, it's very common and normal, I think, to be attracted to theology um, and people who aren't necessarily safe or secure, because that's what seems normal, and that's what seems correct, you know, because that's what we've already experienced. Um, so all that to say, it's been a journey <laughs> and I'm still on it, but I'm grateful. I, I would say for me, like it's, it's really coming to this place where I've had to make peace with a lot of mystery. Um, but also experiencing God as so secure, but mostly from a very, like, uh, like a, almost like a very, like, it's the experience of God. It's the embodiment. It's like the presence of God is the thing that's probably changed and taught me the most in that journey. Interesting. Really interesting. Yeah. And it is a journey. I think it's a, I think it's a journey that doesn't ever end. I mean, I've let go of the idea of reaching a destination, whether that's on my spiritual journey or just my personal journey generally, you know, to, yeah. Oh, great. There's no kind of, there's just seasons. There's mm. no destination, in a sense. You just yeah. kind of keep on going. Um, yeah. And I kind of like that. 
<laughs> yeah, and I think, you know, and my hope is, is, you know, I don't know where your listeners are at, but I always like to encourage people and whether it's clients or just whatever that, um, you know, wherever you're at with God is, is valid. Like some people, yeah. you know, maybe they're Christians and they just aren't ready to really dive deep into that. And like to trust that maybe their body's giving them information that they maybe need some more support or security like before they go there or like just really to just empower them because I think sometimes it's like yes I'm talking about God as a from a place now where I can say yeah you know I feel I feel secure with God um but gosh there's so many folks who've experienced various types of abuse in in church settings yeah um, from people who um you know who've had either leadership or been in those settings and the reality is we cannot white knuckle our way into healing there either. Yeah. And, and and because I believe that God is so good and safe and the best parent we could have, um, yeah, God is patient and, and loves us and wants us to do it in a way that is that is right for us and secure for us. Um, so, yeah, I think that's just important to say. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Um, and it really sounds like what you're, what you're talking about it that you know the, the mind, the body, the spirit—they're all kind of connected, you know. And they all—I well, I, I believe that completely. I believe, I believe I believe everything is spiritual, you know. Um, but um, but that means but that means they can they can influence your mental health as well. Okay. Um, so I mean, how do, how do you see those three areas kind of impacting our and influencing our mental health. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a sense in which all of them are somewhat distinct, and then they're all integrated, too, you know? I mean, I guess, let me back up a little bit. One of the things that's super interesting that we know now is that the mind is literally in the body, meaning it's not just in our skull, but, like, we have sort of the you know, that same neurological, uh, sort of the, those cells that literally go all the way into our fingertips. So there's a sense in which the mind-body um, separateness isn't necessarily, like it's sort of more like it's all one, mind-body. Wow. But it, isn't that fascinating? Yeah. It's wow, really cool. that is amazing. Yeah. And so I think what it's almost like mind-body and then spirit. <laughs> like, but, but what I think is really significant about the fact that I mean, not that I expect everybody to just stop to say, you know, like, but I think we have to acknowledge that those, that those are really integrated. But, you know, what's cool is that I think when our, when we're sort of connected to ourselves, I think what, what happens is we're more able to also be connected to our spirit. Um, I think we are more able to even like, you know, one of the big emphasis for me, and even in like my book, Tysocker, uh, is very much based off of sort of a mindful uh, approach to to life and to being with ourselves. And one of the things that's really cool is that it allows us to be then mindful of God too. You know, mm. so there's this sense in which, like, like this is where I think these things get so they there is so much crossover, like. Um, Richard Rohr has this this great quote, and he says, "If you are present, you will always and eventually experience the present." And 
I think that that is, like, to me, I'm like, man, what a beautiful integration of, like, this holistic perspective of who we are as people. Yeah. It's like, here we are experiencing the present in a tangible way, but by being present, we're experiencing the present, which can't help but interact with our spirit, you know? Like, it can't help but sort of... Um, allow us to be super interconnected. And I think in my in my experience, both as a clinician, as a person, as a survivor, um, the problems come when we try to put these things in like these distinct clean categories. Like now I'm just a spirit, you know? And when we make um, when we make, for example, problems only spiritual. You know, there's a really common, well, I guess I don't know how common it is, but people talk about this idea of spiritual bypassing, which is, have you heard that phrase before? I've not heard that phrase before, no. no. Okay. So spiritual bypassing is when we sort of take something that is, probably has multiple layers. You know, it might have some spiritual components, but it probably also has physiological components and emotional components and mm-hmm. relational components. And we just call it spiritual. And we just say, well, like, for example, if we said, well, let's just, if we just prayed hard enough, <laughs> like, maybe it'll go away type of an idea. Yeah. Like, that is a form of, of spiritual bypassing. Because what that does is it, it allows us to not deal with um, the practical, tangible, concrete mm. reality of our humanity. Right? And so this is how a lot of times trauma ends up compounding because what because moving trauma through our body is is truly like a physiological a neurobiological process Mm -hmm. so if we try to simply keep it in the spiritual category and we don't acknowledge these other elements that are super valid and important what we've done is we've sort of allowed them to stay stuck we've we sort of again we've bypassed them right yeah so i you know in my in my book one of the things i talk about it from the lens of what what i call functional gnosticism and basically what i mean by that is um so then so gnosticism was a heresy from uh you know like the really really early church and the idea was that you know our bodies are 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 dirty or bad the physical is is dirty or bad but spiritual is good and holy and sacred Mm. and a lot of us sometimes without even realizing it live that way we we treat our bodies we think well our spirits matter but our bodies don't you know yeah and so i think that these these ideas have a lot of connection because what we do is we is we're basically we're trying to get around pain <laughs> if we just call a spade a spade like yeah. and I get it because pain is hard right yeah but absolutely but, but we have to acknowledge the reality that this is not helpful and it's not even how we're meant to live mm. nothing more mm-hmm. holy about bypassing our bodies or or living as though our bodies are bad there's nothing inherently good about that and it actually keeps us more stuck. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I love that phrase. I, 
I know the concept, but I never heard that phrase before. Yeah, yeah. when well, we kind of almost over spiritualize everything and just say, I'll oh, just pray and it'll be okay. You know, that'll, that'll fix yeah. it. You know, and um, and actually, I was talking to this, I was talking to somebody else about this last week on a, in another recording I was doing and um, how we um, we all know that you know not everyone's prayers get answered when people go for healing you know we mm-hmm. um people go people get prayed for and most of the time most of the time they don't get healed mm-hmm. it's like you get you hear the stories of the only stories you hear are the ones which go well yeah um and then everyone else just feels like yeah but that's not gonna happen to me you know that, mm-hmm. that wasn't my experience you know and, um yeah so it, it um, and that's what you say spiritual bypassing you know it's kind of like you know it's like it's all a spiritual problem you know it's like saying that your prayers aren't being answered because of a lack of faith or unresolved sin my favourite mm. <laughs> my favourite mm. excuse mm. yeah I like, heard that one going up yep. yeah 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 um, no I think it's so significant and I think that's why for me so much of this work comes back to attachment you know, because, and this is where I think from a faith perspective and a psychological perspective, you know, sort of really doing the work of examining our relationship with, like, our attachment style with God matters. You know, because I think if there's this sense of, you know, if, if, if God is a secure attachment, then God is not happy about our peace. Because that's not what a good God does, you know. And and if God is, if it is a secure attachment with God, then um, you know we can't maybe understand why we're going through pain. But we know God is with us because mm-hmm. a secure attachment is like I'm like wants to create like I, the place to come back to, the place to find safety and security. And so for me, that's been a, a game changer because. Because changing, understanding that God's posture to us in pain matters so much. So, sure, like maybe I don't know why we're going through the pain. And maybe I don't know when the pain will end. And I may not even know if we'll get healed in the way we want to get healed. But having the security of how loved we are is, is so significant as we go through pain. Because from a physiological standpoint, what we know is, is that that literally can allow us to have more resilience. Like, quite, quite literally, when we feel loved and cared for in the presence of someone else who is really there for us, like, we just have more pain tolerance. And so, I don't know, I just think that makes a huge difference in the, in the lens that, we're, that we talk about it. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Yeah, um, yeah, but it's all integrated, you know, it all, it's all connected. Um, yeah. It all impacts each other, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, so much, yes, I'm really loving this conversation. I'm just learning so much. Um, I mean, you talk about the concept of belovedness a lot. Um, and just to kind of unpack that for us. Yeah, so this is a great timing because, you know, as we talk about attachment, because 
really this concept of belovedness for me came out of the season where I really had to wrestle with God, like, what are you really like? Um, what, like, who are you really? Because, <laughs> like, I need to know now. Like, I was just, I was tired and I was um, weary and I was, you know, so tired of white-knuckling my way through life. Mm. And it was like, I want to know, like, like, either you're the real deal and you're good and you're kind and you're those things, or if you're not, like, I got to get out of here, sort of. And so for me, um, you know, I really started to read Henri Nouwen, um, Life of the Beloved, and that, has, that was a really important book for me. And it just, so this concept of belovedness came out of this season where I was going through just a tremendous amount of healing. And it was like, it was almost like I felt like it was the name God gave me. That it was like, like this is who you are. Like, this is the truest, like, this is the truest thing about you, you know? Like, yes, you have these experiences, and yes, you've gone through these hardships. And, and it, I sometimes use this word, truest, because it's like, I like how it gets at the idea that, yes, there are things that might also be true, but, like, it's like this mm. core truth. And yeah. so for me, when I talk about belovedness, what I mean is that it is the core truth. Partly it's, it's for me, but I really believe it's for everybody. Like I really believe that we have inherent value and that we're worth taking care of. And even if that means, I think one of the cool things about being an adult is that we finally get the chance to go back and say, you know, what didn't I get? What what parts of myself do I need to repair? What parts of myself still need compassion and, um, or maybe need to grieve or maybe need more support? And now from my adult self, knowing that my whole self is beloved, I can give that to myself in a way that I've always needed, you know? Um, but now I can. That's beautiful. I love that. Uh, I, I, I use that phrase too that truest truest mm-hmm. phrase I, I love that phrase I love that when I'm talking about myself a lot my truest self you know the, mm-hmm. um, yeah I mean, but, but, but that belovedness I, that, that description is beautiful mm-hmm. um, so tell us just tell us briefly like about this book and um, yeah um, what, what it's about and where people can get it yeah yep so as I kind of mentioned, but the title is Try Softer, and it's coming out with Tyndale this coming January. And, um, and it's all about basically a different posture other than white-knuckling our way through life. And so I use a ton of you know, neuroscience, and, but also clinical expertise, and then, um, and then really my own story. And, and some sort of composite stories to help folks understand, like, like, try softer sounds good, maybe. <laughs> but it's like, so now how do we do it, you know? Um, I, I, I talk about the fact that it's like, I don't want to just give someone a fist. Like, I want to teach people to fist. I want to teach people how to pay compassionate attention to ourselves so that we go through pain and hardship differently. And so the first half of the book is all about just like understanding your own story and getting a better understanding of 
of trauma and, and little t trauma and why that matters. And then the second half of the book is all about like the practices of trying softer. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm so excited about it because it's literally been just the work of my heart. And it's, um, you know, it's, it's like one, some of the chapters have taken me years to write to figure out how do I talk about even my own story, you know? So it's like there's been a sense in which it's just a work in progress. But so it's just such an honor to be able to share this. And I'm, I'm really hopeful that it will, you know, just be a resource to folks. But um, it's on Amazon dot, um, Amazon.com right now if you want to pre-order that. Um, it's also, I believe, on Barnes & Noble and Tyndale's website. Um, but I also, one other thing I wanted to share is um, if you go to bravelyimperfect.com and sign up for my email list, I've got some, um, when you sign up, you'll get a video that walks folks through an emotional regulation exercise that, you know, I know we've talked a lot about that mm-hmm. in this podcast. So if people are wanting to get started on something right now, that's a great resource. And I've been trying to send out, um, you know, a resource like that about once a month. So I would just be super honored have any of your listeners follow along that way too yeah i'm um, like oh yeah i'm i'm sure it'll be amazing yeah and to get that once a month as well um be incredible yeah and i look forward to reading the book too um for Thank sure you so much yeah um and maybe we'll have you back on when it comes out and talk about it all. i would love that yeah, yeah i would really love fun. that um it would be so fun because this has been such a great conversation and i really just appreciate you know your story and um, you know, just being able to normalize that life is hard yeah. and that's okay. Yeah. You know, like it doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. Like it is, it is just hard. So yeah. I really appreciate that. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on the show. It's been really great to have you on the show. Um, Absolutely. Um, yeah. And, you know, I want to say too, I'd love to have, I do a lot on Twitter and Instagram. So if anybody's yeah. interested following along there, um, it's at Andy Colber. Awesome. And definitely I follow on the on Twitter, she's definitely worth a follow. Lots of wisdom and lots of good stuff. Mm-hmm. So, um, um, and she's very, very interactive as well. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, check her out there definitely, and all of her work. So, um, thanks for listening, everybody, um, and take care. And um, we'll talk soon. Yeah, 